This morning we're going to talk about sex and sexual pleasure. So if you weren't counting on that, I think you might still be able to sneak out with the kids. <laughs> but as we talk, I want you to know that what we're actually talking about is faith. <laughs> Anyone else? <laughs> what we're actually talking about this morning is faithfulness. Faithfulness to God and His wisdom expressed through sexual integrity and purity and fidelity to one's spouse. Now we all have our histories, right? We have our unique histories, and a part of that is our sexual history. And it is the incredibly rare exception that someone uh, doesn't have regrets in this whole area. And so as we talk about this, we recognize that we need God's grace and we need God's power to, to saturate all of what we're talking about. Now, it would be a huge understatement to say that there is some confusion nowadays about sex and marriage. In the 60s, we sowed the wind of sexual revolution, and now some 50, 60 years later, we are reaping the whirlwind of sexual chaos and absurdity. Reminds me of an old uh, line from a Supertramp song that goes, um, I know it sounds absurd, but please tell me who I am. We don't know who we are anymore. Uh, when we stop listening to our creator and allowing him to define who we are, then we let our sexual appetites do the talking. They begin to define and determine who we are. We've swallowed the lie that just because uh, an appetite exists, then we have the right to indulge it, then we should indulge it. And so now we have ever more sexual appetites being created, it seems, and we feel the right and the need to explore those, and yet where does it leave us? It leaves us really cynical in the end about sex and marriage. We desperately need some wisdom from Proverbs about pleasure in general and sex in particular, and we get some. So I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 5. And over the course of uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7, the father, again, is going to implore the son to be wise in the face of sexual temptation. He's going to urge the son to reject illegitimate, illegitimate sexual pleasure and uh, to make the most of legitimate sexual pleasure within the God-given bonds of marriage between a man and a woman. The first thing we note is that wisdom establishes boundaries. Wisdom establishes boundaries. Take a look at the first couple verses of chapter 5. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight, that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. That word discretion is important. The, the root of the English word discretion is a Latin word that means to separate. And so discretion is that ability to separate, uh, to discern, to delineate uh, between good and bad, immoral and moral, uh, between what is uh, illegitimate sexually and what is legitimate sexual pleasure. And really in our context, it's going to be a discerning between the uh, words of truth, the commands of the Father, and the words of the wayward women, the words of the world that lead to destruction can you discern between those two, separate them, and create a boundary between them? Turn over 
uh, then to chapter 7, and the father picks up this same theme. The first few verses of chapter 7. My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. He wants them to, to hear his words and to pass on his words to the next generation. But the thing that might derail that is sexual temptation. So that's why he's going to confront. Keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of the eye. By the way, the apple of the eye is your pupil. It's that little dark circle at the center. It's where, that's what lets the light in. And what he's saying is, may my commands, my words, my truth be light to you. Verse 3, bind them on your fingers. That's these commands, these words. Write them on the tablet of your heart. That is, keep them close. Rehearse and remember them. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And to insight, you are my relative. In other words, love them with a filial kind of commitment. Keep them close to you. They will keep you from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words. And there you have it. Whose words? The words of insight from the Father or the seductive words? Which, which words are you going to listen to? Do you ha- Wisdom has the ability to discern between them, to separate them and to create a boundary between them. We are getting bombarded, aren't we, though? We get bombarded with sexual messaging in our culture. There's no way to avoid it. You know, in the old days, you had to pay for pornography. Nowadays, you've got to pay not to get pornography. And even then, it's, it's not perfect. You're going to get all kinds of sexual messages and content through um, television and advertisement and the internet and um, through your cell phone and, and billboards and magazines. And you just go on and on and on. We're, we're bombarded daily with... Me- Do we have discernment to be able to separate the seductive words of the world that lead to destruction and, or the good words of the Father? Well, what are some examples? Here, here are some examples can we, can we sort these out? This is what the world says. Sex is just an act. But this is what the Father, God, says. These are God's words. Sex joins two people, body, soul, and spirit. This is what the world says. Sex is just a casual form of recreation. But this is what the Father says, our Father Sex is a pure expression of love within the bonds of marriage. This is, this is the words of the wayward woman. Just move in together. You don't need a piece of paper to prove your love. This is what our Father says. There is no love without commitment. These are words of the world. Sex is right if you're in love. The Father says, sex is right if you're married. These are the words of the world. If it feels good, do it. This is what our Father says, do good even when it feels bad. These are the words of the world. I can't wait. The Father says, love is patient. These are the words of the world. Two consenting adults should be free to do anything they want. But our Father says, honor me with your body. These are the words of the world. It's too risky to get married without knowing that you are sexually compatible. 
This is what the father says. It's too risky to marry a sexually promiscuous person. This is the words of the world. Everybody's doing it. This is the words of the father. Follow me. These are the words of the world. A little sex never hurt anyone. These are the words of the father. Flee immorality. These are the words of the world. Use protection. These are the words of the father. Use self-control. These are the words of the world. Sex is the only thing. These are the words of the Father. Love is the real thing. These are the words of the world. I can't get no satisfaction. These are the words of the Father. Satisfaction is ultimately found only in me. Do we have wisdom to distinguish between those messages, to sort them out, to set boundaries? And, to, and if we understand God's truth and God's word, his wisdom, it will protect our heart from all the sexual messaging that we get. And then we can set good boundaries, not just with words, but also with choices. I was talking with a businessman earlier this week, and he was saying, man, it's rough out there traveling and going on business trips. And I've just made a policy for myself. I tell the people I'm traveling with or the people I'm meeting with, I'm leaving at 8 o'clock because nothing good happens after 8 o'clock on a business trip. And so he's, he's, he's separated, he's set a boundary. That is wise. That's the first thing we notice. Wisdom established boundaries. Here's the second thing. Wisdom sees the consequences of illegitimate pleasure. Wisdom sees the consequences of illegitimate pleasure. It sees through, it sees past, it sees beyond the allure, the enticement, the pull, the draw of sexual temptation to where it leads, to where it ends, its consequences. The famous uh, Danish philosopher and theologian Soren Kierkegaard said this, life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. In other words, you're only going to understand life if you understand its end. And as, as you understand the end and the consequences, then you can come back and make good decisions moving forward. And this is what the Father is calling the Son to do. Think, think beyond the immediate temptation of sexual sin to its end, to where it leads. So we're going to look at that. What does sexual sin offer? And what does sexual sin actually deliver? Okay, what's the sales pitch? What does sexual temptation offer? And then what does it really deliver? We need to think about what it actually delivers on the other side. And when I talk about sexual temptation, I'm talking about any sexual activity outside the bonds of marriage. I'm talking about unfaithfulness in all its forms. So the father's going to get really explicit and direct on these things. Take a look at chapter 5 again. Verse 3, we'll pick it up. Chapter 5, verse 3, the father says to the son, For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. It was her words again. You know, that list I gave you over here of all the, the words of the world, some of those sound so attractive to us. Uh, they make sense to us, and they, they, they touch our feelings at a deep place, and yet where do they lead? They sound good. They drip honey. 
They sound sweet and good, but where, where do they lead? Notice that he's not talking right away about her body or sex itself, but he's, her words are what captivate his heart and mind. You do know that, that, that men are wired um, to be very uh, receptive to words of honor and respect and value. And so, uh, but you know what? These aren't genuine words of honor and respect and value. That's just flattery. It's just flattery. Flattery is empty. It's just manipulative. And that's what these words are. They're just manipulation, stroking the ego, stroking the sensuality, trying to, and it doesn't have the good of the son uh, in view at all. Turn back over to uh, chapter 7. And we get this long, played-out uh, scenario. The, the father kind of describes the situation. And in this situation, um, the son, not the son, a, a young man, not the son, a young man, kind of wanders off into the wrong part of town. And it seems like he does that rather intentionally, not like it's a, oops, where am I? But kind of going over there with curiosity. And what happens? Uh, we're starting with verse 10. Proverbs 7, verse 10. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. She is unruly and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. She took hold of this young man and kissed him, and with a braven face she said, Now, we, we heard the father warn about her words, and now we're going to actually hear her words. We're going to hear what she says. Here's what she says, verse 14. Today I fulfilled my vows, and I have food from my fellowship offering at home. Filet mignon on the grill. The way to a man's heart, right? It's good food. It sounds so kind of almost religious there. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you, and I have found you. It's all about you. Again, flattery and stroking the ego, the pride. I have covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. And there you have the inspiration for most of modern music, right there, is let's enjoy this all night long. And uh, now we know the muse. The muse for a lot of music is Lady Folly. That's, that's what they're all aiming at. She tries to give this young man a sense of false security. Look at verse 19. My husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money and will not be home till full moon. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. Ah, come on. Let's enjoy the pleasure of love, and sex, and sexual pleasure all night long. Come on, it'll be great. It'll be good. And it is powerfully attractive. Oh, it seems irresistible. It's like a drug. It's hard to say no to. We read later that, that a, a massive throng of men and women have stopped thinking at this point and given in to that temptation to their own detriment. They've given in. It's at this moment that the father wants the son to be able to think beyond the pull, the allure, the enticement of sexual temptation to where sexual sin actually leads. Where does it lead? And the father's going to be really clear about this. What does sexual sin actually deliver? We, f we, we understand the pull, the draw, but where does it lead? 
Back to chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 4. All right, he's, now he's going to say, this is why you need to reject this offer, this invitation. Because in the end, she is bitter as gall. Those honey-dripped lips, once you taste them, they're going to leave a really bitter, sour taste in your mouth. She's sharp as a double-edged sword. She's going to cut you up. Verse 5, her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She's a highway to hell. That's where it lends you. It's going to do damage. It's going to do violence to you. I remember once when I was in Berlin, I was at a bus stop waiting for the bus to come, and I was noticing the advertisements there at the bus stop, and there were two advertisements, two posters. And one poster was advertising an erotic conference. Every year there was a big erotic conference in Berlin. So there's a big poster for the erotic conference. Next to it was a poster with a hotline for um, domestic and sexual abuse. Now, a lot of people completely miss the irony and the connection there. But there is one. And the father in Proverbs knows it and says, you, you follow unrestrained sexual pleasure. You let that define you and drive you. It's going to end, end in conflict and in violence and in death. He continues in verse 9, the father does. Lest you lose your honor to others and your dignity to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich the house of another. At the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. You will say, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or turn my ear to my instructors, and I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people. When we take what isn't ours, we end up losing everything that we have. The the pleasure of sex lasts a moment, but sometimes the deep regret lasts a lifetime. And so the father says to the son, think about it, think about what's going to happen. If you follow the wayward woman, if you, if you grab the pleasures of illegitimate sex, then you're going to lose what? Your reputation, you're going to lose your wealth, you're going to lose your health, you're going to lose everything, and you are going to have deep regret. Think about that now. The father says, think about it now. Now, you may be saying, well, um, that's not my experience. I'm, um, I'm doing something that you, uh, Pastor Kip, might call uh, sexual immorality, enjoying a sexual relationship outside of marriage, and I feel great. You know, everything's cool. It's wonderful. And the father would just plead and say, the decisions you're making now are going to have an impact on your future that you may not be able to understand right now, but they will. We have to understand the truth that unrestrained pleasure plunders its own victims. It depletes them, it, and, but it's a slow fade, and you may not know the consequences right away. I had someone at the end of first service say, you know, I think about this, I think of um, how the sins of the fathers are passed on to the next generations. And, and for me, one thing is I, I may not experience all the consequences of my choices, but what about my kids and their kids? Am, am I thinking about... And yet, as we, as we go down this path, the father says, someday 
all of a sudden, you'll wake up and understand, what have I done to my conscience, to my joy, to my relationship with God, to my relationship to others, to my mind, my heart, my soul? And then there's a sense of deep regret. Why didn't I listen? Why didn't I think about the consequences ahead of time? The father's not done. He's just going to keep at it. Uh, Verses 22 and 23. The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sins hold them fast. For lack of discipline, they will die, led astray by their own great folly. You remember um, the ghost of Jacob Marley in the Christmas Carol? Remember, he was bound, and he had a ponderous chain that bound him, and it was a chain that he had created in life through his greed. Well, he didn't see it in life, but... But the Father is saying the picture here is with your choices, you are creating cords that bind you and keep you in slavery. You know, we like to think that freedom is the ability to do anything we we feel like doing. That's freedom. I can do anything I feel like doing. But that's really not freedom. Freedom to do anything I feel like doing ends up being slavery, slavery to our appetites, our desires, our impulses. Real freedom, true freedom, is the power to do what is right. True freedom is the power to do what is right. And, we, and that power comes from the Holy Spirit and from the truth of God. This is what Ravi Zacharias writes. The more one consumes love selfishly, the more wretched and impoverished one becomes. When love is shallow, the heart is empty. But if the sacrifice of love the commitment of love, the self-giving kind of love, is understood one can drink deeply from its cup and be completely fulfilled. All right, the father's still not done. Bam, 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 he's hammering away. Think about the consequences of sexual sin. Now we are in verse, or chapter 6. We haven't been there yet. Turn to chapter 6, verse 26. Chapter 6, verse 26. For a prostitute can be had for a loaf of bread, but another man's wife preys on your very life. It's gonna, a prostitute costs you something, but believe me, adultery is going to kill you. It's gonna, has a, it has an infinite cost. Can, can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? The answer is? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? No. So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. P- playing with sexual uh, sensuality and, and um, uh, Ill- uh, illegitimate sexual pleasure is playing with fire. We've, we've heard this illustration, but we re- repeat it because it makes sense and it's helpful. Is fire. Fire is a gift from God. It's a wonderful thing in its context. You know, fire in my uh, wood stove downstairs provides heat. And, and a wonderful, pleasant atmosphere. I love my, I love my wood stove and the, and the fire in there. Fire in my grill cooks up some good burgers and dogs. You know, it's wonderful. So fire in the right context is good. Fire out of context, fire out of control, a wildfire is nothing but destructive. Same is true of sex. And then it ends here. What happened to that young guy who went and, and heard the speech of the wayward woman in chapter 7. Here's how that ends. Chapter 7, verses 22 to 27. All at once he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose. 
till an arrow pierces his liver like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Now then, my son, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. It is a matter of life and death. We've become so desensitized and numb because we're bombarded with all of this that we hardly raise an eyebrow, but we need to recognize this is a matter of life and death. We have an enemy, an enemy of our souls, and he loves to, he loves to bait us with sensual pleasure, but it's a trap. It's a noose. We are prey being hunted. What's the principle here? Here's, here's a principle that's been helpful to me, and it's this. <clears throat> All pleasure costs. It has a price, especially sexual pleasure has a price, a cost to it. And the difference between illegitimate sexual pleasure and legitimate sexual pleasure is that in the case of legitimate sexual pleasure, the cost, the price, is paid up front. And in the case of illegitimate pleasure, the pleasure is taken, it's stolen, but the cost is paid later. So in, in the case of legitimate pleasure, what is that cost? What is the price, what is the cost of legitimate sexual pleasure. And God's been very clear about it. The cost, the price, is a relationship of, um, well, it's a committed covenant marriage relationship. That, that is the cost. You know, people think it's weird, and I kind of understand. I've heard this, even recently I've heard this, how weird it is that, you know, we, there's something like sex, which is, you say, you know, abstain and avoid and defend, and it's wrong, and none, and you get all of this, and then you get a 30, 30 minutes of, um, I do, I do, I promise, I promise, and all of a sudden, go for it. You know, it's good, you know, come on, you know, it's right, it's wonderful, it's blessed. You say, how, how can that be that? That's weird. It's not weird. It's not weird at all because something really significant <laughs> happened in those 30 minutes. And what happened in those 30 minutes was providing the context of a committed, covenant, self-sacrificial love. And where that cost, where that price is paid, then, then comes legitimate pleasure. And along with the pleasure, it, it comes refreshment of soul, comes a clean conscience and a pure heart. It's a, such a good and wonderful thing, uh, legitimate pleasure. Well, what about illegitimate pleasure? Well, believe me, don't be deceived. Uh, there's a cost for pleasure, and if you don't pay the price, the cost up front, the, there is a cost, and it'll be, it'll be paid. And uh, that cost will far outshadow and outweigh whatever delight there was. It'll far overshadow it. The final cost is very high. So um, we've we got to think about that cost. What is it? And, and see through the temptation to what the, what the cost is for sexual sin. Now, when I was a younger man and really wrestling uh, with, with the lust of my own heart, one thing that helped me was to journal. So I would journal, and especially I would write out my prayers. And, and one thing that I, I got into... Uh, what we start to do is to describe in detail when I blew it with my eyes, what that actually did to me. What, what was the cost, the price I was paying for making those choices? Because it's crazy about us is that we can always forget that. We seem to always forget that. 
and go back and make the same decision. I said, no, I'm, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm gonna, what is the cost? I'm going to remind myself. I'm going to write it down and get it into my head so that when I'm faced with that temptation again, I can remember and see through it to its consequences. And so, you know, so I, I kind of got that down. And when I was faced with the temptation, ah, uh, put on the brakes, stop, think about it. Okay, what does this do to you? You've been here before. Okay, and, and you know that it's no good. What does this do to you? Remember it, recall it, recount it. Oh, I remember what it does to you. It makes you miserable. That's what it does to you. It makes you grumpy and pouty and moody and no good to be around. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the pleasure might, oh, it's, it might, there might be pleasure in it for a moment, but you're going to be a bum for days. Okay, and guess what you're throwing away? You are throwing away your clean conscience and your pure heart, which is throwing away your confidence in what the Spirit can do through you. You know, remember, Kip, remember, Kip, the most important thing which you really want in life, what you really want in life is to know God and to have God work and and use you uh, for His plan and His purposes and His mission in the world. That's where, that's what you really want and that's what you really delight in. And, And when you do this, you're just chucking all of that. And I know, I know, I know God forgives. His grace is big enough. I know that he will forgive me. But don't fool yourself, Kip, that you can have your cake and eat it too. That you can enjoy illegitimate sexual pleasure and have the Spirit of God work powerfully through you. They don't both happen. So just remember that, Kip. Think about that. You know what that's called? That's called like self-talk or preaching the gospel to yourself. It's called preaching to yourself. But you know what? Preaching to yourself alone doesn't, it doesn't do the trick. It's got to also be pleading for the power of the Holy Spirit because we still need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us to make that decision. But I found it very helpful to begin to really clearly have in mind the consequences. And this is what the Father is urging the Son to do is to keep those consequences in mind. It's a good practice to develop. And uh, we, we get those truths not only from our experience, but from the Word of God. And if you don't know how to do that, I encourage you to find someone who has experience with that to help you to learn how to fight those battles. That the, the battle is won in the mind, in those choices ahead of time. Wisdom sees through the allure of sexual temptation to its consequences. It's work, though. Are we willing to do that work for purity? Here's the third point. Wisdom pursues pleasure in God's good gifts. You know, you might be thinking, oh, man, you know, here it goes again. All these, all these prohibitions and all these things you can't do and shouldn't do, and, and all, man, God sounds like a big, bad, wet blanket. No fun at all, right? That would be absolutely the furthest thing from the truth. God is the creator of pleasure, and really the best weapon Uh, against illegitimate sexual pleasure is to make the most of legitimate sexual pleasure, right? The um, saying no to illegitimate pleasure is strengthened. It's bolstered by saying yes to legitimate pleasure. In other words, go for it with gusto. Enjoy the good pleasures of life. You know, yesterday afternoon, I was down in the village, and I was listening to some wonderful jazz music, you know, 
And it was a beautiful day, and the breeze was blowing through the tent, and I could see the fountain and the beautiful one on the lake, and I was munching on a little freshly made caramel corn, and I thought to myself, it just doesn't get better than this. This is awesome. I am just so delighted in, in the beauty of nature and the beauty of music and the taste of this food. I was not susceptible to sexual temptation at that moment because my heart was filled with good pleasures that God gives. Of course, in the area of sexual temptation, the, the, the best thing to do is to develop you know, that strong marriage with your spouse, even in the area, in the sexual area. And that's what the Father says. Check it out. Look at these verses. They're in the Bible. Chapter 5, verses 15 to 20. This is the dad saying, enjoy your wife. That's the best defense against illegitimate sexual pleasure. Verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares... Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? When you have all that you need, God has given you what you need. There can be contentment, kind of the art of living, Uh, no matter what, is learning to find contentment with God's good gifts. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So pursue the goodness of pleasure within the bonds of marriage. Make the most of that. It's good. I kind of have this hunch that um, committed married couples over the long haul have the best sex lives. I'm not going to do any research into that, but... uh, So go for it, okay? You know... um, I was thinking of some practical applications you could take home from this, but I think you can figure it out yourself. But if if you're having questions, they actually have resources on this. Um, I got these from Pastor Bruce's bookshelf, because he's the the love guru, right? So, by the way, that that list of of words from the world and, and words of God, that's found in this book called, well, appropriately, Sex. Discovering Real Love in a World of Counterfeits. But here are the books I'm thinking of. I mean, uh, they're actually Christian books written to, to help Christians make the most of God's good gift of sexual pleasure in the bonds of marriage. Turn up the heat. Intended for pleasure. Sheet music. Finally, last thought, wisdom counts God in. Wisdom counts God in. The verse that stood out to me most in all three of these chapters is this one, chapter 5, verse 21. Wisdom counts God in. Chapter 5, verse 21. For your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all your paths. I remember one time uh, I was down in southern Germany and was staying at a bed and breakfast, walked into this bed and breakfast, into the bedroom, and there hanging over the bed was a big crucifix. I thought, well, that's strange. And I thought, but you know what? It's true, because all of our ways are in God's view. He, he sees everything, all of our, even what we think. 
So all of our decisions, all of our choices, even in the area of sexuality, are all in his view. And they are either honoring him and respecting him and worshiping him because they are following his good ways, or they are rebelling against him and disrespecting him and dishonoring him because they are going against his good ways. He, but you know what? The fact that God sees it all, I wish you know, sometimes I feel guilty because that's not quite enough. It, I think it should be enough for me to know that God sees everything. But God said to Adam at the very beginning, it's not good for you to be alone. It's not good for the man to be alone. The fact is we need each other in this. And, and so what I find that, that helps me, another thing that helps me in this whole area, this whole struggle, is having someone looking over my shoulder Another person in the battle, in the fight with me. I know that God sees all that I think and all that I do, and and yet he's wired us and made us that we win this battle with his power, but not alone, with others. And so we need to not only guard our heart, set up things that guard our heart, we also need to work with others to see God transform our heart. And so to guard our heart would be uh, to use lots of tools. There's tools out there like Covenant Eyes. And Covenant Eyes is, a, is an internet filtering and accountability software. And so I've got a number of uh, people who are looking over my shoulder when it comes to internet use. And guess what, man? That's awesome. I love that. That helps me a lot, okay? And uh, relieves me of that battle in that area. And we need each other. But you know, it's not enough just to guard my heart. We also want God to transform our hearts. And so we need to be in relationship with each other to be able to get in the Word of God together and to pray together and to, and to access the power of God and His truth together in relationship so that it transforms our hearts so that we desire and delight those pleasures that are God's good gifts, we, we have to do that in relationships. So secrets and shame and hiding, and, and that, that doesn't help. That's our enemies. We need to recognize that all of us, to one degree or another, have uh, struggles in this area, and many have learned along the way how, how to follow God's good ways, and we need to help each other do this together. Well, at the end of all this, you might be saying, whoa, whew. I don't know how I feel about this. I mean, I'm feeling a little discouraged or a little despairing because I feel stuck. I, I feel stuck somehow. Uh, I'm blowing it. I'm messing up. I, I know that I'm making bad decisions, but I just feel like I'm, it's kind of, I'm stuck and determined and, and I can't get, I want to give you hope. I want to give you hope because God gives us hope in his word. You are not destined. You are not determined. You're not stuck on the path of foolishness when it comes to sexual immorality. God's grace and his power is bigger and stronger. We sang those truths earlier in the service. He fights our battle for us. I mean, consider the, pro- the parable of the prodigal son. See, the prodigal son wasted all of his inheritance on prostitutes and, and lascivious living, and, but eventually he recognized it for what it was. He confessed it. He repented and returned, and the father ran to him. He ran to him. I think of the woman caught in adultery, and Jesus says to her, well, they don't, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. I, I think of Jesus saying to the Pharisees, hey, the prostitutes and the tax collectors are getting into heaven before you. Why? Because they knew their sin, and they knew they needed forgiveness, and they were coming to Jesus for that forgiveness. I think of what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 6, where he said this, Do not be deceived. 
neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, we can, all of us can find ourselves in that list somewhere, at least at one time. But Paul goes on, and that is what some of you were. Not are, but were. And then that beautiful word, but. But you were washed, you were cleansed, you were made pure, you were sanctified, you were you were made holy and set apart to God. You were justified. You were declared innocent, declared right with God. How? In the name and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. There is forgiveness and freedom in Jesus Christ. But what he calls us to do is not to throw up our hands in despair, but, it, but instead to believe this gospel truth, that if we will confess our sins, and if we'll repent and turn to him in his grace and his power. But we, we better not try to do that alone. We, we better do it as a community. Men, women, find another man, woman that, that you can talk to and walk with in these areas. There is hope. There is hope. We can, we can hit the refresh button and have that clean conscience and that pure heart and know the joy of the Holy Spirit working through us. There's hope. 